So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We're in this series called Thrive. And I, and I want to talk to you about this issue of thriving and what it means to thrive and what it looks like to, to thrive in life and to thrive in, in, in ministry as we walk through life together. We've been in this series for quite some time. We've been walking through the book of Philippians, and we, we still have, a, we still have a, a lot to go. But in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1, and actually we're going to get through 11 verses today, which is like huge for us. And, and Paul makes this statement, talks about this surpassing greatness. In other words, it's something that Paul discovered. And Paul discovered, says, I've discovered something that's just a surpassing, surpassing greatness. In other words, it has exceptional value that, that I have a righteousness not of my own and righteousness not based upon my performance, but I have, I have his credentials, I have his righteousness. And as a result of that, it was like a game changer for the Apostle Paul. And Paul discovered this and he discovered what it means to thrive and what it means to have joy in all situations. And so we live in a time, right, and we live in a culture to where it seems like that, that there's a lot of joy killers in, in society and joy killers in and, 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 and life, in fact, is there's some people that, if you're not careful, they'll like suck the joy out of you, right? I mean, there's some people that can rob joy out of you. And so Paul comes to this place and he starts talking about this issue of joy. And so I don't know what it is about life. I think I know what it is about life that just kind of drains the joy out of our life. Because when I, when I start looking at Christians, when I start looking at a lot of believers, I realize there's more believers just surviving or mumbling through life rather than believers that are just thriving through life and have this joy um, that's not up to their circumstances, not up to the situations or anything like that. And so I, I think that maybe that's one of the reasons that, that Jesus said that when you come into the kingdom, when you become a Christian, you need to become like, like little children. Because there's something about children. Children know how to have fun, right? Children know what joy is about. You know, we're, we're rediscovering that now as, as grandparents. But, but you just realize about children, they don't carry all the stress and they don't carry all the problems. I mean, they just kind of rest in the protection and the safety of a, of a mom and a dad or grandparents or whatever. And they just, they just enjoy life. I mean, they, they, just, they just have joy. Uh, it reminds me of, of a story that Chuck Swindoll told. Chuck Swindoll is a pastor, uh, has a large... You know, we used to call it a, a, a tape ministry. Uh, remember that? Remember those days? And you'd buy the cassette tapes and so uh, podcasts for the youngers, you know. So he had a large podcast <laughs> ministry. And so, uh, and so he has a large church, a large ministry. And so he's flying on a plane uh, just recently. He's, he's flying on a plane. He's seated, seated next to another elderly woman. Uh, both of them are grandparents. And so they start visiting. And so the lady looks at Chuck and said, you know what? I'm flying back from my daughter and son-in-law's house. I, I was visiting my granddaughter. And, so, and Chuck's like, you know, grandkids are a wonderful thing. And she says, yeah, let me tell you a funny story says, my granddaughter is, is, is in grade school, and so I got to spend a lot of time with her. And so there was, a, there was a time when mom and dad were gone. It was just me and her in the house. And so we decided to bake cookies. And so I, I'm baking cookies with my granddaughter. And so my granddaughter looks over at me and says, Grandmother, how old are you? And so she says, you know, I, I, that's just inappropriate. I didn't even address it. I didn't even, I didn't even answer. And so the grand, my granddaughter looked at me and said, Grandmother, I ask, how old are you? 
And so now then she's, I felt like I had to answer. So I looked at her and says, you know, honey, let me just tell you, that's totally inappropriate to ask a woman her age at any age. You should never ask a woman her age. And a, and a, and a lady would not tell you, so I'm not telling you. I'm not. She says, grandmother, please. She says, honey, I'm not going to tell you my age. And she says, grandmother, I promise, I promise, I promise I'm not going to tell anybody. Please tell me your age. I just want to know. And she says, it's rude. Stop it. I'm not going to tell you my age. And so they finished baking cookies, and a little bit later, her granddaughter disappeared. Things got quiet. And so grandmother says, I need to find my granddaughter. So she goes, looks through the house, goes into the guest room where, where, where she was staying, where grandmother was staying, and there her daughter is, her granddaughter is, on the bed, has the contents of grandmother's purse scattered all over the bed, and she's holding grandmother's driver's license. So she looks at grandmother. Grandmother comes in. She looks at grandmother and says, Grandmother, I know when you were born, you're really old. You are old. And she says, before I could get mad, my granddaughter then looked at me and says, and you know what else I learned? And she says, no, what? You made an F in sex. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about kids, right? That they just know how to have fun and they know they, they, they get this understanding about joy. And so, man, if we as adults could just get this, if we as adults could just understand this, what it means to thrive. And, and Paul says, I have some safeguards for you about that issue. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. I'm just going to read through them. We're going to look at three principles this morning. He says this, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me as is safe for you. That's an important phrase. In other words, here's a safeguard. Here's some safeguards I'm about ready to tell you. Look out for the dogs, and we'll understand what that means. Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision. That's just another way of saying we're believers. Who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in, in Jesus Christ and put no confidence. It's important. No confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, I mean perfect, but whoever gain, whatever gain I have, I count as loss. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. That's where the title of this message comes from. To be found in him. Understanding what that means. Found in Christ. Found in God. Uh, Paul phrased this so many different ways. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ, this righteousness from, great, from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may, may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul says here are some safeguards. If you want to thrive, if you want to understand what it means to be found in Christ, to be found in God, to be found in him, if you want to thrive, if you want to have joy regardless of the circumstances, there's some safeguards that you and I need to put in place. There's some, there's some bumpers, there's some rails, there's some guardrails that will protect us. And the first safeguard is this. Paul says if you're going to thrive in all situations, then you have to come to the place where you do not put your confidence in religious accomplishments. 
In other words, you don't put your, your, you don't put your confidence in religion. You don't put your confidence in religion accomplishments with rituals, with rites. You come to the place to where you put no confidence in that. In other words, Paul was like, like warning us of the danger of thinking that religion will help you feel better about yourself or doing some religious things will get God to love you more because of some religious things you do. In other words, he begins talking about this issue of legalism. And we talk about legalism a, a good amount here at Fellowship of the Rockies just because it's subtle, just because it's a silent killer. And he begins talking about legalism because legalism, listen, legalism will keep you th from thriving. Legalism will suck the joy out of your life. It will, it will hurt a church. It will destroy a church. It will destroy families. It destroys relationships. Legalism is coming to that place to where you, you, it's substituting rules and regulations for my relationship with Christ. In other words, it's all about rules. It's all about regulations. In other words, legalism is this. If I do certain things, and if I don't do certain things, God will love me more. In other words, this, it's a bunch of ifs, right? If I do this and if I do this. Listen, <coughs> excuse me. If you move into that area, your life will become iffy. That if I do this, God will love me more. Listen, let me just, let me just tell you, just so we're tracking this morning, in a relationship with Christ, God, God loves you as much on your worst day as he does on your best day. God's love for you is unconditional. And listen, see, legalism seeps in and it, it chokes the joy out of your life because here's what legalism does. Legalism gets the, gets the focus on off of what God has done for you and gets the focus on what you have done for God. In other words, the focus no longer becomes God, it becomes your performance. I'm telling you, when, when, you, when you flip this, Man, you're, you're, you're headed into legalistic waters. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna lose your joy. I mean, listen, and this, this, this is a problem not just for our culture. This problem's been going on for thousands of years. In the New Testament, the legalistic people were called Judaizers. And Paul is attacking them. Look at this, verse, verse 2, he says, it's just a warning. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now listen, a lot of times when we think of dogs, what do we think of? We think of dogs like nice, cuddly pets. Unless you've owned one of our dogs. <laughs> anyway, we'll move on. Oh, there's so many stories I want to tell you right now about our dogs. So we think of dogs generally as warm, cuddly pets, you know, your best friend, that type of deal. Not true in their day. Nobody had dogs for pets. Dogs were wild, vicious animals. They attacked humans. They attacked people. They, they mutilated the flesh. They destroyed people. Listen, I mean, listen, the, wor the worst thing to do in their culture was call someone a dog. In their culture, you call someone a dog, you tell them, you know what, you destroy people. You know what, you hurt people. You know what, you're that person that like hurts people. Listen, coming to the place, it, understanding this about legalism is this. It's, it's understanding that, 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 and to realize that everything God does in and through you is by His grace. And grace is the secret to joy. See, Paul was a, Paul was a superstar at legalism. I mean, he tried the rules. He tried the, the regulations. Paul was religious, and he was lost. 
Paul was religious at one point in his life, and he wasn't going to heaven. I mean, he says, you know what, you, you, you think you follow the rules? Watch this. I have you beat, verse 4, though my, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Here's the interesting thing about that. Verse 4 through 6, not one mention of God. Religion really moves. Religion at its core moves the focus off of God onto yourself. It moves the focus off of God onto yourself, your performance, the things that you... That you okay, legalism forgets God. It's all about rules. It's all about ritual. It's all about regulations. And if I do these things, religious things, God's going to love me more. There's five examples of legalism. I've, I've, I've taught on these in depth, and I just want to run through them so that, so that we're, we're tracking this morning. But five examples of legalism that Paul gives us, and the first one is this, is just trusting in, in, in rituals. Uh, Paul says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. In other words, Paul, you know what Paul was saying? I wasn't a convert to Judaism. In other words, I, I, was, I, was, I was a Jew from beginning. In other words, we hear people in our day say, you know what, I've always been a Christian. I was like born a Christian. I mean, I've always been a Christian because at birth my parents did some religious things. My parents did some rituals. And because of that, guess what? I'm a Christian. I've always been a Christian. I've always been a believer. In other words, people trust in, in whether, it's, whether it's baptism, whether it's communion, uh, whether it's baby dedication, whether it's church membership. Listen, if you fall into this trap and you believe that your salvation is because of church membership, because of baptism, because of a dedication, because of any of that, then, then man, you're in danger. Your salvation is not, it's not a part of that. The other thing is this. He said trusting in race. When he said a tribe of Benjamin, I mean, Benjamin was like the purest tribe, and Paul was saying, in, in other words, this is my, this is my heritage. You ever, you ever been around someone that say, you know what, I, I'm a Christian because I was raised in a Christian home. I can go to McDonald's, but that does not make me a hamburger, right? I, and so you'll hear people say, you know what, I'm a Christian because I was raised in a Christian home. In other words, my mom was a Christian, my dad was a Christian, my uncle was a Christian, my, my, my family was a Christian, uh, all of those things. You know, the interesting thing about being a pastor is, is, is a lot of times Karen and I are invited to community banquets with leaders and other communities and some other things, so we get invited to these banquets. And so um, it was many, many, many years back we went to this banquet uh, we're at the at CSU Pueblo at the Asiata Ballroom. We show up. Uh, we we get our name tag. We get our seat assignment. They take us, you know, to a seat. And so we're sitting at this table. And um, and I have the spiritual gift of observation. I can <laughs> I can look. Or I, I I observe a lot. And so we're sitting at this table. Uh, there's cash bar. And so you know I'm realizing. You know what? We're at the party table. That's where we're at. We're at. We are at the party table. People are going to the bar. They're coming back to the bar. Two drinks at one time. And you know this group knows each other. And they're 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 talking about stories when they did this and when they did that. And they're laughing uncontrollably. And all of a sudden they like realize, hey, we don't know these this couple. And so then here comes the question. So they look over at me and say, hey, by the way, what do you do for a living? Who are you and what do you do? I said, my name's Charlie Jones. They said, well, what do you do for a living? And so I look at him with a real straight face and says, I'm a pastor. 
and you watch i mean you watch their face and so so all of a sudden you notice people are like just taking their drinks and they're just doing this one guy like shoved his drinks to the guy next to him he's like And so now, 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 like there's this awkward silence, and they're going, "Who invited a pastor?" I mean, and put him at our table. And so there, and so this lady, there's like this awkward silence, and this lady, this lady looks at me, and she goes, "Oh, my daughter goes to church." <laughs> I'm like, "Awesome!" I mean, what do you say to that? You know, and so from the from the rest of the night on, it was like no fun. It was just awkward. It was just awkward. So you ever been around someone that you know what that they that they trust? You know what I was like raised in a in a in a in a Christian home or whatever. Listen, let me tell you something. You can get religion by osmosis. You cannot get Christianity by osmosis. That's listen, listen. That's why so many people are raised and can, can be raised in like a religious home. And they grow up and they walk away from the church because they got it by osmosis. It's not who they were. It never became their faith. I'm just telling you, you, you can get, listen, you can get, Christi- you can get religion by osmosis. You cannot get Christianity by osmosis. By osmosis. The second thing is this, is just trusting in, in religion. He said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And, and, um, and you, you just look at this, and, and Paul was saying, I'm just culturally pure. I'm just racially pure. And then the other thing is, is just trusting in rules. He said, as a law, a Pharisee. So, now, listen, a lot of times we look at Pharisees, and ah, the Pharisees, they're hypocrites. And we looked at them as evil people. Listen, let me tell you something about the Pharisees. When you begin studying Scripture, yeah, they give, gave Jesus a hard time. And, but but the, the Pharisees, they, they were genuine. The Pharisees wanted to live out their life. They wanted to live out their faith. The, un, the, 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 the unfortunate thing is they thought it, all, it was all about rules and it was all about regulations. It was not about this issue of salvation. It was not about this issue of joy. I mean, they, they loved rules and regulations. It was the Pharisees. And, and so it's, it could be fun reading for you if you, ever, if you ever get really bored, but it is funny. The Pharisees would take the Ten Commandments and they wrote an entire book on how to live out the Ten Commandments. They took the Ten Commandments and they expanded the Ten Commandments to 619 rules. In other words, ten wasn't enough for them. They needed to know what is a rule for every situation. One of the, one of the things that really bothered the Pharisees was the Sabbath, that you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath, right? And so that really bothered them. So they came up with a bunch of rules about what constituted work and what didn't constitute work. In other words, they had one rule, and you can read it for yourself. It's hilarious, but they had these rules. They had one rule that, that um, they would not eat an egg that the chicken had laid on, on, on the Sabbath because they were worried that would, that, would, that would constitute work. That cracks me up, and that is no yoke. I know that's lame. I know that's lame, but I worked on that. <laughs> they, they had another rule, that a woman could not look in the mirror on the Sabbath because they were worried she'd look in the mirror and she'd see a gray hair and she'd be tempted to pluck it, and that would make, that would make work. I mean, you just look at this. They were just so, they were just so bound up with rules and regulations, uh, trusting in reputation as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, righteousness under law, blameless. In other words, today you have people say, you know, I go to church, I read my Bible, that makes me a Christian. That's legalism. 
The point is this. There's nothing wrong with any of these things. The fact is, they're good things. The problem is, is thinking that they give you points with God. Thinking that God loves you more. Listen, I'm telling you, God loves you as much on your worst day as he does on your best day. It's unconditional love. And Paul is saying that Christianity is not a, it's not a, it's not a matter of rules and regulations and rituals. Listen, if Christianity or, or if, the, if the Christian life was a, was a, was a, was a, was a bunch, bunch of, of don'ts, then anybody that was dead would be considered a Christian because they don't do anything. The Christian life is more than just a bunch of don'ts. Second thing is this, second safeguard is this, if you're going to have joy in all situations and all circumstances, don't place your confidence in your accomplishments. Do not place your accomplishments in, or your confidence in your accomplishments. In other words, don't trust in, and don't trust in religion, don't trust in self. And Paul tells us that at one place in his life, this is where his, his confidence was. It was in religion and it was in self. It was in religion or is it, it was in, in, in performance. If it is your righteousness that you boast in and your accomplishments that you boast in, then what happens when someone criticizes you? If it's all up to your performance, what happens when, when, when you believe and when you say I'm a good person? And, and guess what? The reason I'm a good person is because I always say the right things, I always do the right things, because I always make the right decisions. What happens when you believe that it's because of your performance that makes you a good person and then you fail, you sin, you struggle? I'm telling you, if that's you, if you trust in self, if you trust in your performance, listen, I, I've struggled through this in my life. If you trust in your performance, and then when someone criticizes you, someone's disappointed in you, you don't make a, a right decision, you don't make a safe decision, you don't make a good decision, or you sin, I'm telling you, you will lose your joy every time. Listen, what Paul is telling us, you have to place your joy outside of yourself. And I'm telling you, a lot of people in our culture and society, they're looking for joy in all the wrong people. Uh, in the, well, in all the wrong people in all the wrong places. I mean, when you... <laughs> Sorry, I think that was a song, looking for love in all the wrong places or something like that. Now I'm off on country and western music. But Paul compares the value of, of religion to the value of relationship with Jesus Christ, and he says there's no comparison. At one time, Paul was a religious person. He was lost. At one time, Paul was a religious person, and religion gave him more guilt. At one time, Paul was religious, and he never thrived. He never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why he said in verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That word rubbish, that is just a really, really nice way of putting what the Greek actually says. If I, if I, if I said what the Greek really said, You'd like cover your kids' ears and say, I can't believe my pastor just cussed. I mean, it was dung. It was manure. It was, it was just such a crass term that he used. And he was just trying to explain. And he says, them is rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In other words, he says, I've, I've figured out this thing that has surpassing value. In other words, he says, you know what? Everything I had to give up... Uh, in life is like nothing compared to like knowing him in other words paul says i've learned to keep my priorities in perspective i've learned to put my joy in something outside of myself i i think a lot of times just in talking to people the number one reason that people lose their joy and they don't thrive is misplaced joy 
misplaced priorities. It's, it's flesh. Just watch this. It's flesh versus spirit. And I proved that out in, in Scripture when he said they're, they're mutilators of the flesh. The dogs, they're mutilators of the flesh when he makes that statement. It's flesh versus spirit. In other words, they can, they can hurt your flesh. They can mutilate your flesh. But if you don't place your joy in your flesh, then they can't take your flesh. They can't take your joy. You have to place your joy in the spirit. You have to place your joy in God. Because if your joy is in the flesh, if it's up to your performance, it's up to you always doing the right thing, saying the right thing, being the right person, all of those things, I'm telling you, people will rob your joy. That's why a lot of times when, when we place our joy in the flesh, that's a lot of times why we can't have honest discussions with one another. Because you know what we fight over and you know what we argue about? I followed the rules. I did the right thing. I'm a good person. Why? Because our joy is placed in the flesh. What do you, what you think of me? And do you think I'm acceptable? Do you think I'm... And all those other things. I mean, you look at where Paul's joy was in Philippians 3.1. He said, finally, brothers, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. I'm just going to run through these just real quickly. Uh, Philippians 4.4. Again, he tells us where his joy was placed. He says, rejoice in, rejoice in the Lord always. And he just says, that's where my joy was placed. Philippians 4.10. He said, I rejoice in the Lord, Lord greatly. In other words, uh, he, just, he just kept saying that, that my joy is in God. It's not in people. It's not in circumstances. It's not in things. He, he just kept saying, do not, for you, do not rejoice in people's circumstances or positions. I mean, here, here's the interesting thing about Paul. Paul was, man, Paul, Paul's in prison. I don't know if you know anything about people in jail. I mean, at, at one time I was a, a police chaplain, and so I did, I did a lot of jail visits. And uh, so I don't know if you know anything about uh, uh, people in jail. In this, usually in jail, you guys could pull that verse down. I'm not going to read the whole thing, just that phrase. And so usually people that are in jail, people are writing to people on the inside. People on the outside are writing to people on the inside to encourage them. That's normally what goes down. That's normally what happens. Not so with Paul. Paul's on the inside. Paul's on the inside. He's writing to people on the outside, encouraging them. In other words, what Paul is doing says, guys, don't place your joy in circumstances, situations, positions, anything like that. Guys, you can have it all and be miserable. You can have it all. You can have success. You can have fame. You can have money. You can have promotion. You can have, you can have it all. And you can still be miserable. And Paul is saying, I gave up performance. I gave up religion to have this relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, the reason a lot of us like or a lot of people like religion, it's all about control. I'll control. And it's issue of pride. I'll control who is a Christian. I'll control uh, what God, you know, who God is, what God says. I control all of that. I control what you have to do to get God's acceptance. I decide whether the Bible is true and all that other stuff. In other words, it's about control. And Paul says, you know what? I gave up control. And I gave it up and I gained this thing of surpassing greatness, which is this issue of joy, which is a relationship with Christ. The third and the last safeguard is this is place your confidence. You have to place your confidence in, in Him. You have to place your confidence in His righteousness. To where you and I come and we just we learn to place our confidence in, in Him and what He's done, Paul would say, just to be found in Christ, just to be found in Him. That, that I understand and, and we understand that, listen, none of us can live a good enough life. None of us can live a perfect life. And in verse 9, this is what Paul says. 
and to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in christ the righteousness from god that depends on faith you know what he's saying he's saying this is what it means to be a christian i just want to be found in him i just want to have a relationship with him in other words what he's saying is i want god's righteousness now for paul this is real for us it's kind of abstract for us it's kind of weird right I mean, it's kind of interesting and it's kind of awkward to us, but when you study church history, you realize for the first hundreds of years of Christianity, you know how believers referred to each other? They called each other saints. You're a saint. Now, we're, we're, we're awkward with that, right? I mean, it's just kind of weird to us. And I, I have an inquiring mind, so I want to know, why is that weird to us? So you know what I did? I asked the Google. Uh, I think the Google is way smarter than Siri. Siri and I, we have all kinds of issues. We just argue. Uh, she interrupts conversations when she thinks I said, hey, Siri, I'm like, I wasn't talking to you. And so I asked the Google, so I asked the Google, how does a person become a saint? Because that's what I want to know, right? What does our culture say? You know what the Google told me? Some pastor has to tell you if you're a saint. Some church has to tell you if you're a saint or not. Some religion. See, this is why we have difficulty with this. This is why we have difficulty in shaking this religion off because some of us have been raised in an environment that says, guess what? You're a saint if we say you're a saint. You're a saint if the church says you're a saint. But the Bible says this, when we're in Christ, we're a saint. And that did not mean and that did not refer to we lived an ex excellent life or we lived a perfect life. You know what that referred to? That referred to positionally in Christ, found in Him, we're a saint. It helped us to understand, guess what? You're His. You're His child. You're on His team. It had nothing to do with performance. It had everything to do positionally where you are that you're found in Him. Do you realize if you're in Christ, you're a saint? Regardless what anybody else says about you, I'm telling you, it's more important what God says about you than anybody else. In other words, when we, become, when we become Christians, we get His credentials. And I never forget, many years ago, we were starting the church uh, back in the days when I fly fished, and Kurt was senior pastor here, and we fly fished a lot together, and we'd always wanted to fly fish the Terriall River, and we never could get access because most of the Terriall River above 11 Mile is like private land. We started a church, another church in, in Colorado Springs, and, and we reached a guy that says, you know what, if you guys want to f uh, fish the Terriall, says, I have a house on the Terriall, and you can just pull up at my house, you can walk down to the river, and you can fish it all day long. And we says, uh, that, that'd be like a dream to us. And he goes, oh, but uh, there's one thing, it's private land, so um, I'll, I'll get you a badge. And we had to wear, it was kind of obnoxious, but it's like this big orange badge. And as long as we had that badge on, we got to fish the Terriol. It wasn't because of our credentials. It was because of his credentials. It wasn't because we owned a house there. It was because of anything we'd done. It was because we got his credentials. And that's what it means to be a saint. That's what it means to understand a relationship with Christ, that I have, I have, his, I have his righteousness. And then you know what? When you stumble, when you fall, when you sin, when you have difficulty, you understand that I can come into the presence of God not because of my performance, because of who I am, whose I am. That's why David was able to say in Psalm 37, he says, my, my, feet, my feet stumbled, but I, I did not fall. E even as Christians.
we have things that hurt us and it does not mean that we do not weep it does not mean that we're not sad but it does mean this that we don't have to be devastated that's why Paul was was able to to say words like I've I've been I've been knocked down but never destroyed I've been crushed but never devastated I'm telling you what makes me worthy and what makes you worthy of God's presence is not your performance not rules regulations rituals it is about your relationship to Jesus Christ and you are covered by his blood God will find you in him and I just need to tell you God loves you as much on your worst day as he does on your best day and you know what I, I know a holiday like this on Mother's Day is, brings up a lot of a lot of emotions and Mother's Day sometimes can be guilt-ridden because of the unrealistic expectations sometimes it's placed on moms but if you know who you are in Christ and that God loves you as much on your best day as your worst day, I'm telling you, you'll thrive. You'll thrive. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, let me just ask you, what is God saying to you? And what is God saying to you as a result of this message? More importantly is, is how does he want you to respond? Because there's a next step. He wants every one of us to respond. And, and the response look, looks differently from each one of us. And maybe you've never, listen, maybe you've never come to the place to where you've accepted him. Maybe you've trusted in rules and regulations and, and religion. And maybe you've never trusted in Christ. And maybe this would be the morning you'd say, you know what, I, I'm just going to trust in him. And I'm going to accept his righteousness. I'm going I'm to accept what he did for me on the cross. And because of what he's done for me on the cross, it makes me worthy to stand in the presence of God. And I just need to get that. I just need to understand that, you know what, in Christ, God loves me as much on my best day as my worst day. It's not up to personal uh, popular opinion. It's not up to what people say about me. It's not up to my performance. It's up to my relationship in Christ. And because of that, I'm going to thrive. Maybe you're a believer. And maybe you slipped into some legalism. And maybe it's racking you and giving you guilt. Can I tell you this? In in him there is no guilt that he takes all sin away he takes all guilt away he removes it from us so what it, what is your next step is it just learning how to thrive is it learning to properly place your joy not in the flesh but in the spirit so that nobody can take your joy from you maybe you hear this morning and say you know what i i just need someone to pray for me and listen you don't you don't need to be embarrassed by that. Every one of us needs prayer. I need prayer. You need prayer. Apostle Paul asked for prayer a lot of times. So if God has placed a burden on your heart and you say, you know what, there's just an area of my life I just need prayer. You may want to pray for someone else. You may want to have someone pray for you. It may have something to do with what I just talked about. It, it may have nothing to do with that. And that's okay too. But if you're carrying a burden, I believe God's already revealed that to you. Would you just be obedient to that? And so just a few minutes, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, that if, if you need prayer in any area, we're going to stand together. 
and that as we stand together, if you need prayer, would you just step out, begin making your way down. We'll have prayer partners here. People be walking with you. We'd love to pray for us, for you. There's, there's something for every one of us to do in this moment. We're not going to be in this moment long. Whether we're responding by coming forward or we're responding just standing and praying for those who are responding. So if you need prayer in any area, you come. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love. And Father, we thank you for your grace. Father, we just thank you for the power of, of your name. And Father, we thank you that we can come into God's presence and we are worthy of his presence because of your righteousness and what you did for us on the cross. Father, would you pull us very closely to you? Would people just respond to you? And would you hear our prayers? Would you respond? We thank you for the stories that we have in this place when people just humbled themselves and prayed. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.